making security more fair, more emotionally intelligent, and more fun. Welcome to another episode of the Security Management Highlights podcast from ASIS International. Every month, we focus on the trends and topics the world needs to know about your world of keeping information and people safe. I'm your host, Brendan Howard, and today we talk to a trio of talented talking heads. Brittany Galley, chair of the ASIS Women in Security Group, tells us about roadblocks to better pay for women in the industry. Security consultant Bobby Brumfield talks about the importance of self-awareness in security leaders. And director of Amazon Security, Jenny Brinkley, explains how she makes security training fun. So let's have fun. The passionate Brittany Galley, co-founder and CEO of BFG Ventures, just got back from the inaugural Security Lead Her Conference, a joint effort between ASIS and SIA, the Security Industry Association. She loved it. Here's why and what she learned. What was amazing about it was a few different things. One was that I will say it was one of the best collaborations I've seen between two industry associations, SIA and and ASIS, to the point that you didn't feel like you were in one or the other. It was a very, I'll say, communal, um, cohesive group of us just getting together and trying to change the world, right? Um, there was no feeling of defending of turfs. Like, no, we're all <laughs> no, working together. No, and and sometimes that happens. But what what's amazing about it too is like the the common goal is there, right? We we need more women in in the security industry. We need more women in leadership. We need more women at boardroom tables. We need more room, women in decision making for the industry itself. And this all this did to me. Um, when you when we looked up on stage about who was in the room and how many of the 300 women are in these really powerful positions in their careers is the sheer amount of brain power of inspiration that we all gave each other that says look you're not alone right um, and I think that's where some some community groups um, some diversity groups get caught of like that's all this is really about is we are not alone. You're not the first person that's going through something like not getting a pay increase or getting denied for that for X, Y, and Z reason. You're not, you're not alone in these problems we're all facing. Um, but that's, that's, I think it is the, the sheer amount of inspiration, excitement um, deserves that momentum inside of the security industry, um, especially with all the support we have with uh, the men in the security industry too, which is amazing. So. I'm curious, so there's a lot of positivity that felt like it came out of the conference, and I'm wondering, not the darker side, but people sharing their difficulties, their barriers, their, you know, getting in on the ground floor and then working their way up into the C-suite or working their way up into security management, security leadership. What were some of the things that either came out of anecdotal stories or things that people shared data-wise? Yeah, there was a few different stories, but two of them I'll say that really hit home was one was, was pay scale was there's there's several people and I was even we were had a, a good conversation with this with three or four people that evidently had gone through exactly the same thing in their careers in the last few years of hey why am I getting I'm the only I mean the only woman leader on the team why am I paid so drastically different than my male counterparts right and if I fight it I either do one thing I get pigeonholed and I'm never getting promoted or I fight it and I become the HR issue that also doesn't get promoted or, you know, you're the outcast on that team. And I think just hearing how many 
have gone through that exercise, I think it's I think it's wrong, right? I think we can do a better job of supporting women that are on the teams or or even our counter peers to say, hey, like this is not okay. You know, and here's some tactics that might work, here's some tactics that aren't work. Or look, if you run into this, it's still not okay. Let's find you another position, right? And I think I think there's lots of avenues to grow one's career. Um, not every company is going to be perfect, and not every leader is going to be perfect, and you have to accept that. But the goal is is just not get stuck, right? And not hit that roadblock of defeat. And that's what actually came out of some of these stories, at least two different ones that I heard that week, which was they've just been defeated and they're they're okay with it. And and to me, we we deserve more than that. What rationale was pre- what did they say was presented to them about why I'm paid less? Right. Well, and a lot of it has to do with what they were paid before. So when and and I think to, you know, negotiation and and business acumen and how to negotiate for yourself is a huge tool here. I think sometimes we forget we need to practice that skill to beef up our own our own professional experience to negotiate on behalf of ourselves. And just telling somebody, "Hey, I made this at my last job" is not what you say to your employee. Employer, right? And I think we get caught in those kind of stupid conversations because we're we're already lacking confident confidence in the fact that like, look, I can't cross every checkbox off off this job description, so maybe I don't deserve it, or maybe I shouldn't apply, right? And that's the other that was the other thing that came up was, well, I'm I can't meet this this position because I don't have X. Well, you know what? Apply. Apply and let them tell you no. Interview three times of the five times. And let them tell you, shoot, shoot you down at the end, but apply. Because I will tell you, the the ripeness of, of this industry right now for a diverse thinking team with lots of leadership coming from male, female, or blue smurfs, who cares? This <laughs> These companies need it and they're actually wanting it. It's, it's the women not applying for some of these positions that I think is holding us back too. So it's that double-edged sword. However, when you get an opportunity to talk about pay scale, you should always say 20% more is what you need to get inside of the industry. And I think just that one little tip would help people make more than what they're making. Because what, what's obviously from a, a hiring manager's perspective, they're just going to hire you for what you're making today or a dollar more, right? right? Or throw some some peanut signing bonus at you when in fact, always say 20% more is what you're looking to move for, you know, plus X, Y, and Z benefits work from home, whatever it is that makes your life work. But at the same time, that negotiation skill is hugely important. And those that get trapped in the bottom of it, forget also when you have a performance review annually, you need to bring it up again. And the reason that is, is because it's not that you're not proving your work or you don't feel like you're val- you are valuable enough. You are valuable enough. If you are working your damnedest, you are valuable enough. And that should be what drives you to say, look, I'm an equivalent leader here and I deserve that amount. When people were sharing stories, are the really egregious stories of difficulties of sexual harassment, of difficulties of feeling like culturally I, they won't let me fit in. There's primarily men in this in the security environment I work in and they won't let me fit in. Do those feel like they're slowly getting better and slowly moving away? Or do people talk about either people who've been in the industry a long time share those stories or do people still show stories that, yeah, kind of culturally or emotionally sucks from this job too? 
Yeah, and it's a great question because it's a it's a two part it's a two part answer. One is that seeing it, and I see this because it's ASIS and it's Global Women in Security is our community that you know we run, and and I get to see a very international perspective of this problem. So the answer to that is it happens everywhere one way, and happens everywhere else a different way. In <laughs> in in some of the Middle East, I will tell you, it is a very different roadblock that they're facing. They're still fighting to be at a table to listen in on what the plan is, let alone make a decision. The United States is in a very different case. Latin America is coming up. Latin America has done a really good job in supporting their female leaders, I will say that. I've been witness to it. And the amount of support from their male counterparts and their male leaders and their male team is a direct reflection on how fast women are growing in this industry. And it's a direct reflection of whether they stay in the industry or the problem we're combating right now, which is they're leaving the industry. They're leaving the industry for lots of reasons. Maybe it's staying home post-COVID, whatever it is. But at the same time, they, they are leaving the industry because they're not getting the support that they need and they get put in positions of leadership and they get put in positions maybe even to make some of those decisions. But what's happening when they get there is they feel like they're on an island, right? A seat at the table, fair pay for good work, and really importantly, teams able to come up with better solutions, not in spite of diversity, but because of it. Next, Bobby Brumfield, partner and security management consultant with Leonum Advisors Corporate Protection and Management, says technical skills are important in security, but what about the so-called soft skills, like say, self-awareness? It's shown up in books on emotional intelligence for years, and it's a core skill for leaders. And so I'm curious, when it comes to leadership and security, where do you see self-awareness coming up there most? Why is that so important? So, you know, I, I say it in, in several areas, one being a security manager. Uh, a lot of times you have to take a step back and, and uh, when you're helping or guiding, you know, put yourself in that position or, you know, figure out what's triggering you. I'm, I'm sure what you read, uh, you talked about, you know, your self-triggers. So I have to understand exactly what it is that triggers me, how I communicate and how I'm getting that across to the people that I'm, that, that, that I'm in charge of, uh, as, as well as how they communicate is affecting me. So, so I, I think in the management position, that's very important. And then when you're dealing with your clients or, or the rest of the organization, you know, you want your staff to have that same skill. So they have to be aware of their self-awareness and, and, and how they're approaching potential, or I should say incidents, potential crisis. Would you give an example kind of thinking about, so people coming up in the ranks, if there's something that jumps to mind for you, do you remember uh, in when you were in non-managerial, where you weren't working on management leadership, where you were coming up in security, the kinds of thing where self-awareness would get you into trouble. And when did you start, when did you start looking for those triggers? Was it was something you had to really do or is it just something that kind of organically over time, you kind of got better handle on your feelings? How did it play out? You don't know what you don't know. And, and no book is going to teach you everything. So, <laughs> right. so you're going to make mistakes and, and you have those managers that are callous and, you know, figure it out types. Uh, which causes a lot of problems later on down the road. And then you have those managers that's like, hey, I've been there. I, I know where you're coming from. This is how I will, you know, help guide you through it. Now, I'm not going to hold your hand, but I'll guide you. 
So I, I would say just in, in, in general, it would be situations like that where you just, you know, you're starting out, uh, you're in charge, but you don't, you know, you, you don't really know what you're doing yet. You know, um, you know, I go back to my police days, my first day on the street by myself, you know, I, I pulled over a car and it was a bunch of people in it and, and I'm smelling weed and I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> someone should call the police. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> I am the police. Did you literally have that thought? You're like, for one moment, you're like disassociated from the fact that you are the man I, in the uniform. I am the man in the uniform now. I am the one in charge now. And I'm the one that has to figure this out. I, the first thing that popped in my head was this could be bad. Someone should call the police. <laughs> so, <laughs> so and, and, and it's the same with corporate. When you roll over into corporate, I was lucky enough to work corporate before I went into law enforcement. But when you come when you come out of law enforcement and go into corporate, there's a lot of things you don't know. And if you if you reach out for help and if you reach out for guidance and that leader doesn't have that self-awareness, it can go down here really fast. Can I ask, it's one thing to kind of think about your own feelings and to notice what triggers you and bothers you and how you're reacting to things and start changing that. How difficult is it for leaders who either are in a culture where that hasn't been the norm or you're kind of onboarding people who they kind of have to change to fit this culture? We're more self-aware. We have a little higher emotional intelligence. We're not the callous, do it yourself, figure it out. We want to be a little more mentoring, a little more leadership. How do you how do you make that happen? So first you get the self-awareness for yourself, but then teaching self-awareness to others or making that part of the culture, are there ways to do that? Oh, absolutely. But it, it takes training, it, it takes intentionality. And, and and I know people on my team hate to hear me say it because I say intentionality too much. Uh, <laughs> but but it does. It takes intentionality. And you have to go out and look for that because a lot of us, it, it's just not natural. It doesn't come to us natural. So you have to be willing to go and get that training. You have to be able to learn. You have to be able to, to understand what it means to be a, a um, to move away from that 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 traditional leader to that to that leader who can chameleon for the different styles that are coming at you, you know, it's your uh, responsibility to shift and understand how to, how to get through this situation. Uh, and then you hope that you can teach that, you know, they pick up on it, but, but there's only so much you're going to be able to teach. Uh, you, you have to get them in classes. You have to go that, that extra, that extra route. You have to educate yourself on it. Um, that's sort of, I mean, you're mentioning kind of the chameleon style of leadership where you try to adjust to the person. I think that's interesting in this time when we're thinking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, we're having a, a wider array, a more diverse workforce inside security. In your experience, how does self-awareness play into making the security workplace more inclusive? Self-awareness is, it, it's everything. We all have our own political backgrounds. We have our own upbringings. We have, you know, there's things that are just ingrained in us. And and now that I am a, a leader or, or, you know, this person becomes a leader, you have to understand that, okay, the way they view things and the way they see things may not necessarily be the way that I do. How can we find that, that mutual ground uh, so that we can we can start stepping in the right direction. Conflict is not necessarily bad. Great things come out of conflict, which is why you want diversity on your on your teams. 
but we have to make sure that it's healthy conflict and how can we communicate in a way that keeps it healthy so that we can turn these negatives into positives. We have to be, you know, intentional about being self-aware. You know, what what triggers me? What am I saying? What am I doing that may be triggering them? So all, all of those things are important and it's up to the leader to start that. You know, that, that onus is on the leader. Get yourself and your team some emotional intelligence training. And even though Bobby's team may laugh that he's using the word again, be intentional about it. Our last guest, Jenny Brinkley, is director of Amazon Security. And she says you should be intentional about having fun, being relatable, and not fear-mongering in security training and awareness. So let's start with what not to do. Okay, I wanted to see if we could start off negative though. If you Mm -hmm. have been in security or in a position where you're offering training or education internally or externally to people, what is what is a security training and awareness campaign that is not informative and not fun? What are the things that you have had been exposed to or things you've tried that fell flat? I'm just curious. I want to start yeah. negative. What does it look like when it's bad? <laughs> well, when I first took the program over, it was really sad. Not even <laughs> bad. It was just sad and it was random and no shade to the individuals that worked on this before me. But when I first inherited the program, it showed our security leaders green screened in front of a cruise ship and they were standing on the deck, green screened on a cruise ship, giving security advice with no correlation as to why they were standing on a cruise ship. And so they would make these funny jokes about it by saying things like, hey, you know, as you go through and you're scanning into a building, make sure that your badge scans and it gets recognized as you go in. And they're standing there on a cruise ship. And, you know, maybe a seagull is flying in the air and you hear like the, the like a buoy and a foghorn in the background. So, yeah, that was a very sad, unexpected, why are we doing this? Is that just like, I wonder, you know, sometimes there's like a new Zoom desk, a background. Yes. And so everybody just wants to use it. I'm surprised they didn't just on a cruise ship. So they weren't in space or on like the Pyrenees mountain or anything. I mean, that would be much more compelling and exciting. Cause I don't under, I didn't correlate. How does, you know, security translate to a cruise ship, but you know, maybe they liked cruising. Okay. So a, one major problem, obviously security people are into security, but a lot of times you're providing this security training and awareness stuff to people whose primary job is not security at all. And so you have to get them interested. I assume it's easy for people to tune out. This can sometimes feel like the housekeeping or maintenance or like, oh, this is kind of the kind of thing. So what are, what are things you employ to get everybody who's listening to this, even if this is only a small part of their job, to keep them engaged and having fun? Oh my gosh, I love this topic. I actually talked about this at RSA this past year. A lot of it is actually brainstorming with your staff. So talking with your teams, what have you seen that's been interesting? What's been really compelling? How have you seen security be talked about in other areas of the business? Another part of it is to really think about where inspiration can come from anywhere. So when we're developing training at Amazon, we'll take practical examples So let's say there's an employee that is on the subway and they're getting really engaged in a conversation with someone and they inadvertently leave their laptop on the subway. And we'll talk about, hey, here are some steps of what you should do. Should that happen to you? And so we try to make it very realistic with something that's really educational. 
something that's relatable, uh, but most importantly, ensuring that you are using individuals that represent the types of scenarios that you're trying to discuss. So it's a laptop example that I just brought up on the subway. You know, it's showing somebody that's commuting from their home to the office. And we like to use actual Amazonians in these scenarios and the kind of language they would use. Like you're sitting on the subway, you're absorbed in a book, you get off the subway, you stand there and you're like, oh my God, I forgot my laptop. (laughs) And so really trying to then say, okay, here's what you're going to do next. You're going to call and you're going to send a note and you're going to do this. So really giving specific informational content, but also something that relates to you feeling like that could happen to you. Is there how much of the stuff you have to do is sort of um, maintaining good cybersecurity, um, keeping company secrets and trade secrets behind the door? So that level and how much is actual danger? So in the in the event of, you know, do you have to do try to do fun and informative things for active shooter or or fires and things like that? Where does where does the training come in? Oh, boy. Well, I mean, here's the thing. Everybody wants to be secure and, and be safe. And I think in these the, this day and age, that that sense of I got to be knowledgeable to know what I need to do in case of the worst thing that could happen. And physical safety is first and foremost. And so as you're working through and trying to explain what people can do and what actions to take. I never want to scare somebody into doing the right thing. I want them to feel empowered. I want them to feel almost like a superhero in that situation by not doing something though that is going to risk themselves or someone else around them. So if it's a physical safety need, it's how do I stay safe? Where do I need to go? What are the actions I need to take? Which is interesting because when you think about a digital security need, it's kind of the same thing. What are the actions I need to take? Where do I need to go? How how do I stay safe as I operate online? And I try to meet those moments with giving people the sense of empowerment and the sense of, okay, this seems terrifying. How do I move forward? Because with that knowledge, you're able to keep yourself safe, whether it be in a physical situation or a digital one. It sounds like, so you don't try to use the scare tactics. I was wondering when we think about fun training, People are looser, and I I think there's been work in education where they've sort of studied this, that if people are looser um, and calmer, they can learn better. And so that seems an ideal situation. But are there any trainings where you have to more carefully thread that needle between, I need this to be serious and everyone to pay attention, but I want this to be fun and for people to be engaged? Is it hard to thread that needle or easy? And how do you do it? You know, it's about using practical examples with real humans. So a lot of the time, I think that some of security trainings evolved to be in this, this gamification that, that wants to make something fun and, and gamify a moment when reality, it's about people and it's about how they relate to situations that are happening to them. So for example, again, going back to how we do our trainings at Amazon, we're always going to use people. We're always going to demonstrate people in a real life situation and how they respond to the moment. So if it was something around workplace incident management, for example, we have experts across the company that we would pull in and be able to work with them to talk about the real world example, how someone should respond, and how we visualize it, but not in a way that's going to make somebody walk away and think, I don't even know what I would do. It's really thinking through, okay, here are the five things that you need to do if there was an incident that happened, or here are the three things we need you to do should you experience a phishing attempt, or 
here are the, here's the number one thing that we want you to do if something were to happen um, and your badge didn't work. So it can go from such a scale of the different types of scenarios, but every single time is we don't want to create a, create an environment where someone is is not paying attention to what they need to accomplish and do. We want them to know what they need to do, the actions they need to take, have fun with it, but obviously be respectful of what we're trying to communicate. So there is a little bit of threading the needle, but I think that if you treat it with, you know, people like to communicate with people and give them relevant information, you can really solve for any training scenario. The last thing about this education I'm wondering is um, we've also in a new job or sometimes with the annual training, you have to sit down and watch a bunch of videos all at once, or you're, you're expected to ingest a bunch of information all at once. Is there any way in which you try to make your stuff at Amazon more bite-sized and smaller? So is there a sense of how much information we want people to try to absorb all at once? Oh my gosh, absolutely. And also I work with a lot of people with a lot of opinions and feedback. And so every single year we get all this feedback regarding our trainings. And so much of it has come down to bite-sized moments given in a headline with real clear prescriptive guidance on what to do. So for instance, we have a security reporting portal. If anything that happens throughout the entire training that someone doesn't necessarily know what to do, go to the portal, send me a note. <laughs> Let us know if you see something, say something that seems unusual. Or we live in a culture known as Sev2 in Amazon, which basically means all hands on deck, something's going on. I want anyone at Amazon to walk away from a training and maybe they don't know exactly what to do, but if they were to get in touch with us and cut us of two, all hands on deck, we're going to go investigate and do not be embarrassed if it turns out to be nothing. I would rather have us go and spend the time and investigate and see what's going on and have it be nothing as opposed to someone being embarrassed and, and not wanting to report something. So it's not just fun for fun's sake, it's about helping folks learn what they need to learn using realistic scenarios they will encounter and not being afraid to come forward. And that is it for the latest episode of Security Management Highlights. Thanks to our guests, Brittany Galley, Bobby Brumfield, and Jenny Brinkley. If you're interested in reading more about these topics, check out the links in the show notes. If you got excited about something here, share this with your friends inside and outside of security management. The world needs to know how vital and awesome this field is. And leave us a review wherever you listen to this podcast. We would appreciate it. Find us at sm.asisonline.org. And hey, be safe out there.